Let's pray this one in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the great things you've already done. But thank you, there's still more. We press into your word and we press into your heart. Come on, church, let me challenge you right now. Could you soften your heart? Could you actually open up and say, Lord, speak to me? Do something with me this morning. Challenge me with your word. Lord God, that we might become a little bit more like Jesus. We might leave this place a little bit better than the way we came in. That we could be your church more powerfully and effectively. We could play our part in it. And in it all, Jesus, you'd be glorified. Amen. So this is part four of our series, God's House, Our House. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I've got lots of great feedback. But my subtitle today is, David was all over it. David was all over it. Turn to the person next to you and go, David was all over it. You will know David. You'll all be familiar with him. Let me just tell you a few things about David, many that you will already know. But let me paint you a little picture of this incredible man. He'll be most famous probably for the David and Goliath moment when as a young, probably 13, 14-year-old boy, he stepped in where the entire trained army wouldn't step and faced down the 10-foot giant. Very, very famous. But I'm just thinking, we say that story, but imagine what's going on in David's character and personality right there. Let's call him 14. The army is there. The whole nation's army is there. Trained warriors, people who have been in battle and are hardened. The giant is out there going one-on-one, bring it. And they're all going, not me, not me. David steps up and says, I'll do it. See, I'm trying to picture that today. And you know there's some football coming now, don't you? Imagine, and I know this is a tough imagination, just imagine for a moment England got to the World Cup final. Now go there, come on. Just imagine for a second England got to the World Cup final. There's 10 minutes to go and it's 0-0. We're playing against Brazil, obviously. And there's a 15-year-old kid on the bench. Imagine that's you. And they go, you're on, son. Or daughter, maybe. And you go on, and in the last minute of the game, you smash it in the goal, and you win the World Cup for England. How are you feeling? How are you feeling right then? A bit more, bit more that's going on in your face right now, I know that. You know, we were that smidgen of a close to the Euros, weren't we? Imagine the World Cup, and you go on there as a youngster and score the goal that wins the cup. The adulation. The, the, the thing going inside of you must, have, must be soaring. It would be incredible. You can picture it, can't you? Come on, church, respond to me now. Something would be going off in you big time. Just imagine how famous you'd be. Imagine everyone wanting your autograph. This was it. This is what David was going through as a young lad. He knew what that felt like. He also knew what it was like for people to turn on him. Because the very king that he stood for and killed the giant later tried to kill him. And he knew the distinct lows of having to run away and hide, thinking, for crying out loud, I just served you. He had multiple marriages and multiple mistresses. He knew the physicality that comes with that. And many people chase that stuff. But he had lots of it. He knew that extreme. He lost a child. He knew the pain of what that was like. He led battles and was a renowned warrior and leader. They loved him. He was super successful, but he also made a terrible decision which caused all the wives and children of his army to get taken away. 
My point is this, this character David knew extreme highs. He knew extreme lows. He had the best of everything. Do you know he was super wealthy, super wealthy. Let me read you something about that. 1 Chronicles 22 verses 14 says this. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord. This is David speaking. A hundred thousand talents of gold. Turn to the person next to you and say, a hundred thousand talents. Talent is a weight. A hundred thousand talents of gold. A million talents of silver. Quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed. This is big. And wood and stone. And you can add to them if you need more. I went on BibleStudy.org, like you do, and I typed in, how much is 100,000 talents of gold worth today? So you've got to remember, 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, we're not including that, weights of bronze that we're not, that too heavy to weigh, we're not going to talk about that, and the wood, we're just talking about the gold here, which is a small part of it. Do you know, according to BibleStudy.org, how much 100,000 talents of gold would be worth today? Well, I'll tell you, because I can see you're on the edge of your seat. $158 billion. And that doesn't include the silver, and that doesn't include the bronze, and it doesn't include the wood. And wood's proper expensive today, by the way. The guy was extremely wealthy. He had the best, he had children, he knew fatherhood. Can you picture this guy with all that he's had, all that he's experienced, all that he's got, the highs and the lows of it? Well, that guy, that guy who experienced everything we could ever imagine. I'm sure many of us would like to be wealthier. I'm sure many of us would like to have relationships. I'm sure many of us would like to be parents. I'm sure many of us would like to have under, know what that success would feel like. I'm sure we might like that. He knew. And the guy who experienced all of that, he said this. Yes, he did. <laughs> Psalm 84 verse 10. This is David speaking. The guy I've been unpacking to you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the, temp in the tents of the wicked. After all I've been through, after all I've experienced, after all the wealth, all the relationships, all the wins, all I've been through, my conclusion is this. I just want to be in your temple. I just want to be in your courts. Wow. Wow. Just let that sink for a second. You know, David, if I can go full Essex on you, is proper sold out. This is something else he says, Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to church. Woohoo! Can you picture this for a moment? I just started picturing David rocking up to our car park. Now the guy is giving $158 million to the church, so he's not struggling, is he? He's going to be turning up in some nice car, isn't he? He's not going to be turning up in some old banger. He's, he's got a nice car, Dave, and he's just driven around, and he's got this nice car, and he's like this. And he's got out the car, and he's like this. Have you seen that one for the Friday night where the guy gets out of the car, and he's dancing like... It's David, isn't it? I'm coming to church! Woohoo! I'm in the house of the Lord! Come on! 
Yeah, this same guy who knocked Goliath over. This same guy who won all the victories. This same guy who's absolutely minted beyond our wildest dreams. His favourite place was in church. I'd love to see him in our car park. I'm going to look in the car park next week. <laughs> Just imagine Johnny Steele rocking up. <laughs> and Sarah Steele going... David loved it. Look at this. It gets worse or better, depending on how you view it. Back to Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. David's all over it. Can you see it? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine me coming to you? on Friday and saying to you, church on Sunday, and you going, church, I'm going to faint. I can't wait. That was David, the guy who had everything, the guy who had all the things you're probably praying for, asking for, and wanting. He had all of that, and yet his conclusion was, I just want to be in church. So much so that I'm going to faint. So much so that I'm going to dance and celebrate with people as I go there. Why? Why? What's the biggie? Go and sing some songs, pray a few prayers, hear a couple of scriptures. Woo! But this, I believe, is what he got. Psalm 26, verse 8. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where where your glory dwells. You see, he had wealth, and we might want wealth. He had relationships, and we might want relationships. He had the adulation of a nation. And we, I don't know, maybe you want that fame. Celebrity is a big thing nowadays. But he had all those things, but the thing he yearned for most was the presence of God. The thing he yearned for most was to experience a moment in the glory of God. That's what he wanted. You see, David had fully grasped something that I think we're beginning to grasp. That there is something special about gathering together with a group of people in worship. A gang of people who come together just to touch the heart of God. That's why our worship team is so important. How amazing. Alice and the team today leading us. And you're like, they start singing and like, yes. And something goes off inside, doesn't it? It's because the glory starts to come. Because when God sees us gathering, and when God hears us unified and saying, we love you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done for me. It's not just the omnipresence that he's everywhere. It's his manifest presence that touches and changes lives. You see, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I'll be in your midst. I want to say this, gathering promotes presence. Where two or three of you get together and look to me, that's where I'm going to be. Can I encourage anyone who's married who, who, or who might want to be married? In your marriage, there's two of you. And so where there are two of you and you get God in the middle of it, there I'm going to be. And that's why your marriage can be stronger than anything else. Because Jesus is the third cord that cannot be broken. It's about presence. There I am in the midst. Have you ever had those moments, you know, in, in a church service, in a conference or somewhere where you gather together with people and you, you know, you might have had the worst week, you might have had the worst news and you get in the presence of God and somehow, somehow, somehow God just gives you peace. 
You get that when you gather together with people and you touch his heart. And you say, despite my struggle, despite my bad report, despite that bill I'm struggling to pray, I am here in the house of the Lord and I praise you. And God says, come on. And he brings peace. And here's the great thing. He's also the great provider. He's also the great healer. And you touch his heart. And as we come together in that place, something happens. There was a season, oh, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, where there was just this, the joy of the Lord, the spirit of joy just went everywhere. And I, I kept laughing. Did anyone have that experience years ago? I'd be in a meeting on the front row sometimes, and I'd just start getting the giggles. And it wasn't because I was mocking anyone. I, I know I sometimes do that. But I wasn't mocking anyone, but I just, I just, I was, and the joy came on me, and I just started laughing. And then I turned to the person next to me, and they saw me laughing, and they were laughing. And before you know it, everyone was laughing. And it was a weird thing, and it wasn't a mocking thing. It was a joy thing. You only get that when you gather together and touch the heart of the Father. You know, have you ever had that moment where you're in that place and you, you've got a decision to make and the, the Spirit of God just drops something in you and you're like, yeah, I feel empowered to make this decision now. See, it's the glory of God. It's not just about singing a song. It's about touching the heart of the Father. And when we do that together, he says, there I'll be in the midst. And it's the glory. And it changes lives. And it brings fresh vision. And it brings hope. See, David knew you can't buy it. You can't command it. You can't take it by force. But the man who had everything knew that the thing that moved him most was gathering together with people to touch the heart of God and make room for his glory. David was all over it. Now, our enemy knows that as we gather, God shows up. As we gather, people are empowered. As we gather, people are healed, blessed, encouraged. So is no wonder there's always a whisper. I wonder how many people have battled with coming to church thinking, oh, I don't really belong. I don't fit there. I think they're judging me. Oh, I've had a terrible week. I'm not even sure I'm living it. You know, I wonder how many people who've never been in church think that they can't go to church because they feel like they're going to get judged. There's always this whisper. Something's stopping you, causing a hurdle to get in the room. When actually, when you get in the room... The glory of God just takes it all away and says, you belong here. I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. It's amazing there's always another option. There's always stuff going on. And we touched on this weeks ago, and I appreciate there's balance and getting those things right. And I understand that. But there's always something competing with you coming to be in the presence of God. It's always this contest. But we need to keep reminding ourselves of what happens when people get around Jesus. And I love these stories. I'm never going to grow tired of them. Remember the bleeding woman? Been bleeding for 12 years. Now we say that, that rolls off the tongue. My, my daughter's 12. That'd be like someone bleeding for the whole of my daughter's life. That's extreme. But worse than that, in that time, someone who's got that condition is cast out. No one to talk to, no one to stand with her, no one to console her. She's on her own. You're unclean, keep away. But she heard Jesus was coming. Can you imagine the battle in her mind? You can't go there. There's people there. They'll push you away. They'll judge you. But there was something in her that just said, I've got to touch Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. I don't care what people say anymore. Shove it. I'm getting to Jesus. And we know the story, don't we? She bushed through the crowds and she got there and she touches his hem. And the moment she touches his hem, she's clean. You see, if we can get through our stuff and touch the heart of Jesus, something's going to happen. It's going to happen for you. God knows your issues. And I'll tell you what, we've all got them. I might not know your issues because you've got a brilliant Sunday face, you lot. But God knows. 
And when you say to yourself, yeah, I've got my stuff. Yeah, I'm feeling rubbish. Yeah, I'm not even sure I belong. But you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get there. And I'm going to turn up in my flash car and I'm going to walk into church like I belong here. And as we touch the heart of the Father, things will shift for you. What about Zacchaeus? The crooked tax collector who took much more than he should have. Who knows? Everyone's hating him. But he is Jesus is coming. And he had every reason to stay in his house. The people literally hated him. But he heard Jesus was coming. So what does he do? We know the story. He climbs the tree. And he looks down. And this is what I love about Jesus. Zacchaeus wasn't making himself known. He was actually trying to hang back. He was up in a tree for crying out loud. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew there was someone looking. And because he pushed past his doubts, he pushed past all the contests going on in his mind, he just thought, I'm getting outside. Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, all these people around, all these people that don't like Zacchaeus, all these people who probably wanted a touch from Jesus, but Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He says, let me have lunch with you. And one meal with Jesus shifted his heart. And he came out and sprung up in generosity and kindness. And he gave multiple times back to the people he'd taken from. Who knows, in that one encounter of Jesus, Zacchaeus, his whole life was changed. He would have gone from the least favorite to probably the favorite in one encounter with Jesus. But I promise you this, he had a contest to get there. There's always a contest to get there. What about the guy who's lowered through the ceiling by his friends? Lame guy. We know this story. They know that Jesus is in town and they're in a room and it's absolutely packed full and they know that they've got, got to get into Jesus. So they climb the roof and there's a ceiling in the way. There's always something in the way of getting to Jesus. But who knows, we need a little bit of spirit like those friends. Oh, well, we're going through the ceiling then. They didn't worry for the consequences. All they knew is they had to get their friend in front of Jesus. And when they got in front of Jesus, he said, wow, what faith. Get up and walk. You see, one moment in the presence of Jesus changed his life. I've got no clue how the guy felt about his ceiling. That's as a side. But I know this, it didn't stop them. We all have a ceiling. We all have a wall. We all have things stopping us. But when we can get to Jesus, good things will shift in your world. Now, there's the, there's the centurion's son. You know, he goes to Jesus and said, my son's not well. And he's, Jesus says, I'll come. And he says, you don't have to come because I'm a man under authority. I know if you give the word. And Jesus is like, what? You get it. And Jesus says, he'll be well. And his servants tell him that actually at that very moment in time, his son got well. You see, one moment with Jesus. All kinds of reasons why you can't get there, but one moment with Jesus. What about the feeding of the 5,000? All these hungry people. And it seems impossible, but they want to be around Jesus. So Jesus doesn't leave them hungry. Jesus feeds them. And sometimes I think we rock up to church and we're a bit hungry and we're not sure. But as you come to Jesus, he sees. And he's the great feeder. He will give you everything you need. I love Nicodemus. You know, he's the religious guy, religious leader. And so bound up with religion, he can't see the wood for the trees. He knows his scriptures, but an encounter with Jesus. And he suddenly starts to see it differently. He's like, wow. And if you follow it through, Nicodemus is important in Jesus' story. But it was getting to Jesus. He had every reason not to get there. Because all of his peers would have said, what are you doing? But he snuck away and he says, I'm just getting to Jesus. 
You see, these people had this experience which David is talking about. One moment in your presence and your glory comes. That's what I long for. Not the wealth, not the relationships, not the adulation, just your glory. Because that's where I'm at peace. And do you know what? That's available to us today. No wonder David was excited about it. Because that's what he valued most. So it begs us questions, church, in 2021. Could we raise our expectation? Same Jesus, same Holy Spirit, same God, same needs and issues. We're not different. And God's like, there's my people. And if we could just touch his heart, if we could get beyond singing a song, if we could get beyond praying a prayer and touch the heart of the Father, things are going to shift. So I hope I can stir something in you this morning to say, come on, awesome, you're in the room, awesome. But could we touch the heart of the Father? Because as we touch the heart of the Father, things are going to shift. You know, the church is a great and weird thing in that we exist not just for ourselves. You know, there's a school here, there's a, there's a state here, there's a town, there's a nation, there's your work friends and colleagues. We're here to show them something of Jesus. And I love the picture we painted in the Old Testament where they build the tabernacle and there's the outer court. And you'd come into the outer court and we know the scripture, you know, enter with the courts with thanksgiving and praise. And there's the, there's the altar, the, 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 the brazen altar where they sacrifice animals, it's blood sacrifice. And then there's the laver where they go and wash themselves and it's like a ceremonial cleansing and it's the journey you take through. Jesus now is our once and for all sacrifice and the Holy Spirit cleanses us. But then they go into the holy place and there's this thing called the altar of incense. It's basically they got all nice herbs and spices and they used to burn them and it created this lovely aroma and people knew that it was the holy place. And so what they would do is they'd take in their shawl that was over their shoulder and they'd go up to the, the altar of incense and they would put it over their head and, and, and breathe in the nice smells. Have you ever had Vicks? You know, the old nose, you know, you've got the old cold, get it all boiling up there, oh, I feel fresh. Well, they've gone into the holy place, the presence of God, and they got there. And this is what I love about that. When they left the temple, people knew they'd been in the presence of God because they could smell it. How about that with us? How about we touched the heart of the Father in such a way that we stood in his glory? Not just had a nice church service, but we stood in his glory. And he shifted something in my heart. He shifted something in my expectation. He shifted something in my faith. He shifted something in the way I'm looking at stuff. Something shifted. As I leave this place, my family, my friends, my colleagues sense something is different. And do you know why? Because I stood in the presence of God. Come on, church, we need the presence of God more than ever. There's a world out there, and we're not going to convince people by arguing, by, by having verbal exchanges that they're good, and I think they're important, and clever people can do those things. But people will come to Jesus because they see something in you. They smell something on you. There's something different in you. And the difference is, I stood in the glory of God. I made it important. I got past the reasons. It was important to me. And just like David, I can't wait till Sunday. Because when Sunday comes again, I'm going to stand in his presence again. And I'm starting here. But next week, I'm going to start here. And next week, I'm going to start here. And I'm just getting a little bit more like Jesus every week. And sometimes I stuff it up and I take a step back. But God forgives me and I'm back there again. Let's not stay the same. Let's get a little bit more like Jesus. And something happens as we get together in the presence of God. You know, I think we've learned a lot about separation in the past year or so, haven't we? How tough was it 
to not see your family, to not see your friends. How tough was it in the end not to be able to do church for over a year? We know what it's like. We know we're better together. You know, it got me thinking about, you know, a, a story from my football world when I, I played for Dagenham. Uh, we had this player called Tony Sorrell. And he was like the midfield enforcer. Do you know what that would be? The guy in the middle basically kicks everyone. And, uh, you know, I'm a slightly built guy and I was quite quick and tricky and people like to kick me because it's the only way they could stop me. But I had Tony Sorrell. Tony Sorrell had a knife wound down his face from his eye to the bottom of his cheek where he'd been in some fight at some point in his life. He looked proper mean. And so I'd go out on the pitch and I'd do my dancing tricks and I'd go past someone two or three times and then they got fed up and went, just take him out and someone would come and clean me out and I'd be on the ground rolling around like a baby. Ah. I know you don't believe that. <laughs> I'd roll around and I'd look out the corner of my eye and there's Tony Sorrell with his great big scar going, you touch him again, fella. I'll have you. I've got your number. I've got 90 minutes to get you. Watch your back. I'm like, go on, Tony. <laughs> I was a better player because Tony Sorrell was in my side because I couldn't be scared. They might kick me. Now they're not going to kick me because I've got Tony Sorrell. We are better together. Because do you know what? When I come to church and I see my mum sat at the back, I'm like, mum's here. When I get to church and I see Numa sat on the side, I'm like, Numa's here. When I turn up to church and I see James is there, I'm like, James is there. We're all different. We've all got different skills. But together we're just better. God is still in the business of transforming lives, you know. I think we just need to shift our little part we play in it and say, God, I'm raising my expectation. Do you know what? God doesn't mind if we put a demand on him. It's faith. Lord, we've seen you do it before. I'm expecting you to do it again. Come on, move in my situation. He's okay with that because he's the dad who loves you. If Josh came to me today and said, Dad, I know you could help me here. Will you help me? What am I going to say? Gonna, I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> because I love him and because I can. And so when we go to our father, because he loves us and because he can, what's he going to say? So come on, church. How about stirring your faith a little bit? What is it you're desperate for? Where do you need that shift in your life? But when we get together and touch the heart of the father, he sees you. And just like Zacchaeus, he says, come and have a meal with me. And something's going to change. Come on, are you feeling it, church? Something has to change. I just look back at my own you know, journey with faith, and I'm sure you'll hear what I'm saying, but we remember most in our faith journey the encounters of this glory. When I've been away to Christian camps, when I've been at certain services or meetings, I can remember the ones where I stood there and like, whoa. Like I remember the laughing story. I remember that clearly because God was doing something. I've stood there at times when God's just spoken to me or said to me, look, I want to shift in you, Barry. I just know it. Could we have that every week? God wants that every week. Could we have it twice a week? I don't know where your heart's at. I don't know where your expectation's at. But I know this. The more we get in the presence of God, the more we're going to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. And as we turn into the likeness of Christ, the more effective we're going to be, the brighter we're going to shine, the, the more flow you're going to get in your life. The key is the presence of God. So could we come every Sunday excited about the potential of the presence of God and play our part in it? You know, we have the girls up here dancing and singing. You know, sometimes they're looking at you like... But it's like the presence of God's at stake. 
The presence of God is here. I'm excited by that because when I touch his heart, something shifts in my life. When we worship, I'm not just singing a song because there's words on the screen. I'm giving you my heart all over again, King Jesus. Do with me what you've got to do with me. And in that moment, we attract his presence and lives are changed. Are you hearing me? I like to get really honest. And I've led church for a long time now. I like to get really honest. And here's my assessment. Ready for this. For most people in church, their real question is, what do I get out of it? Controversial. But we're people. And that's not a judgy comment. I might be like that myself sometimes. But for most people, that's, that's okay, yeah, good. But can you see that when we touch the heart of the Father, it's win-win? What do I get out of it? Well, let me just show you a, a different verse. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 says this in the New King James Version. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. There's that fragrance thing again, do you see? When we get in the presence of God, it diffuses through us and people see him. But I love this, triumph, if you triumph, you win, yeah? Thanks be to God who leads you to win. Here's what you get out of it, you win. You win in life. Who knows that God wants you to win in your relationship? He wants you to win in your health. He wants you to win in your finances. He wants to win, win in your business, win in your parenthood. God wants you to win. But as we touch his heart, sometimes when we've got our own little thinking and we're going off on a bit of a tangent, he, we, he touches his heart, he comes down and says, no, 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 Barry, that's not where I want you, I want you to go here. And if you're willing to make a shift in your thought process, what happens? He leads us into win. He leads us in Christ to win. We triumph. He wants you to win. Here's the reality. We're not called to bumble by in life. We're called to represent heaven. Who knows? Heaven's not in contest. Jesus has already won the victory on a cross. There's no debate. There's no battle. It is already won. All we have to do is appropriate it. And part of that is saying so close to the Father and so connected with our brothers and sisters that we don't go off on weird tangents, that we stay in line with where God wants us to be at the right time and the right place and diffuse his fragrance and we get flow. Jesus has won for me and for you. The foundation of us winning, the stance for that foundation is on our knees. For us to really win... It's not about me being mighty and strong and courageous. It's about me saying, God, what do you want of me? You've already won. I just want to be more like you and appropriate it. Touch my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me your vision and let me run with it powerfully. Are you with me? See, the reality is, just like David realized, we're better together. Genuine life, genuine peace, genuine healing, genuine hope, genuine vision springs forth, empowered by mighty God, when we stand in his glory. And these are the things which we really want. So if I'm saying David was all over it, could you be? Could we be? Could we be a church that's literally all over it? Because we know when we touch the heart of the Father and his glory comes, good things happen. Could we release the glory in this place? 
you know, I hope I've inspired something in you. But there's a moment to be had right now. I wonder, just as Rachel comes to pray for us, whether we could all take a moment and put aside our preconceived ideas, put aside our judgment, put aside our flavour, and just say, Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you looked at me and you thought I was worth sending your son for. That moves me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've got a great plan for my life. It's not just a word and a text in the Bible, it's your reality. Thank you, Jesus, that you've set me free from all that could hurt me and bind me. And if we could, as a church, just say, look, I'm putting it all aside right now. I just want to be open and honest with my Father and say, I love you. What might happen? Should we have a moment like that? I wonder if the worship team could come up and just lead us in that champion song. I think it'd be really key. But as they come, could I get you to stand to your feet? Can I just invite you just to, to close your eyes for a second? Father God, I just empty myself of me. All my hassles, all my worries, all the things that are weighing me down, I lay them at the cross now. Come on, church, you need to, that's an active thing. You need to let it go in your mind. Put your cares aside for a moment. We're in the house of God. We're standing before the Father who gave his son for us. We're bowing the knee to King Jesus who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. We come before Jesus who's no longer on the cross because he rose from the grave and defeated anything that could come at us. We worship the victorious King. We're seated in high places with him. That's our reality. And we get an opportunity in a moment like this to say thank you. We get an opportunity in a moment like this just to belt something out of our mouth in worship as an expression of our heart. And it's not about if you're a good singer or a bad singer. It's about you declaring your love for Jesus all over again. And in that moment, I believe you'll touch a life. So I'm going to hand over to Alice. And my encouragement to you, wherever you're at in life right now, is to seize this moment and express your heart to Jesus. Come on, let's worship.